welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again. Hope you're doing well. It's uh, great to be back in the pulpit. I've been looking forward to this uh, as we start a new year together, 2020. Can you believe it? 2020. It's amazing. Uh, But I have to be honest, uh, I've been a a bit disappointed because when I was a kid, I went to go see Back to the Future 2. And that led me to believe that we would most definitely have hoverboards by now. But there are no hoverboards. So I've been grieving that at the start of uh, this new decade. But um, that's just a confession. But actually, true story. One time as a kid, my friend and I, we went to the library, spent all day there trying to figure out how to create a hoverboard. Didn't work out, but that would have been cool. That would have been so cool. But anyways, I, I hope the New Year's treating you well. And uh, I don't know about you, for you, but for me, the start of a new year is a significant moment. So for, for me, it feels like sort of a divine invitation to reflect on my life. Like, you know, what kind of year do I want to have? And I've actually just felt the sense of the God asking me, like, what do you want in your life? And, and so for me, it's been just kind of a reflective time. But I, I think for so many of us, there's this hope that maybe this year could be different. How many of you have maybe thought that already so far? Yeah, you know, this year is going to be different. And, and we try not to remember that we said the same thing, you know, in 2019 and 2018 and maybe many times before that. But, uh, you know, we feel like, you know, this year can be different. And I want to tell you today that it can, but not if we approach it the way we so often do. I think the way we so often approach change uh, in our lives is to merely look at kind of the external level. So, you know, commonly people will get a new diet plan at the beginning of a new year, but and they'll maybe kind of, again, take some external structure without looking at, well, what, what about my self-control, right? Or maybe I'll get a new Bible reading plan, but maybe not really even looking at, well, why do I have so much internal resistance to reading the Bible, uh, why, what, you know, maybe I'll get a new podcast or a devotional app, uh, and all those things are, are wonderful, but if we only, this is my point, this, if we only address change at that level, we will miss what is most important, which is something deeper. And so that's why I'm so excited about the passage we're looking at today, because it really takes us into this deeper reality, this deeper dynamic that is so fundamental if we are to experience the change in our lives that we long to see. Now, we're looking today at Jesus' famous teaching known as the parable of the sower. You could also call it the parable of the soils, because it's equally about soil as it is about the sower. Uh, and if you've been around church, you're probably familiar with this. And if you haven't been around church, I just want to say, you are, we're so happy you're here. We, we really just want to be a community where anyone can come, regardless of where they are, to explore the ways of Jesus with us. We want you to be able to belong before you believe. So we're just so, so, so happy to have you here with us. But to understand this passage, we really need to understand something about the context. So, so the context of this parable, and sometimes people, we can miss this and read this out of context, but the context is actually a, a movement of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus came, and, and we celebrated that at Christmas not long ago, when Jesus came, uh, he came and he had a purpose. And it wasn't simply to bring forgiveness of sin. 
Now, that, that was so essential. And if that's all he did, I would be thankful for the rest of my life. I would say hallelujah, and I would be doing backflips. But it turns out that forgiveness of sin is actually just the beginning because what he came to bring is the kingdom of God. And so forgiveness, and again, it's just sort of the beginning, the start. And the kingdom of God is nothing less than the power of God entering the world to heal every brokenness in every dimension of human life. It is God at work bringing restoration and healing and hope and redemption. So in the context leading up to this passage, Jesus has come, his public ministry has begun, uh, and he's not only proclaiming that the kingdom has come, he is also demonstrating it through his life. And, and people all around, far and wide, have taken notice that it's like the kingdom is being released and everyone in the surrounding area, they're taking notice. Now, I don't know about you, but what I long to see in this new year more than anything else is for the kingdom of God to break out among us. In my life, in my family, in this church, in this city, in this region, that's what I really long to see and hunger for and, and, and pray for. But, but here's the question, what does it look like when the kingdom comes? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what, what does that look like if that were to happen? You know, we're taught to pray, and we pray every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So what, what does that actually look like? How would we know the prayer got answered? What would that even look like? Well, I think it's an important question, uh, in part because sometimes I think we carry assumptions of what that would look like. And actually, Jesus' first hearers were carrying assumptions of what that would be like. And actually, in their context, you know, the people of Israel, they'd been waiting for the kingdom of God. They'd been longing and anticipating for for God to bring his kingdom. Uh, But they assumed that would all happen at once, uh, that everyone would be on board, and they'd kind kind of sit back and watch. But it's into this situation where there's all these kind of mistaken assumptions that Jesus speaks actually a series of parables. And we're just looking at the first one today. We're in Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can follow along on the screens. I just want to do kind of just a first pass through this parable, and then uh, we'll kind of kind of unpack it in greater depth. But we'll pick this up in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 3. It says, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So when the kingdom comes, we're being told that it looks like a farmer who goes out to sow seed. Now, if a farmer goes out to sow seed, then that means there's a reason, right? A farmer doesn't sow seed just to sow seed. Uh, you don't have to be a farmer to know that. Uh, so so there, there, there's a purpose, and, 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 and he's not just so, you know, I, I guess I just said that. <laughs> But what he wants to see is a crop, right? He wants to see growth. He wants to see uh, abundance. And really, that's, that's God's heart for you. It's his heart for me in this new year, that there would be growth in our lives, that we would flourish in him. And so the kingdom coming is like a farmer who goes out to sow seed. And, and so what is this seed? Well, thankfully, Jesus kind of gives us the secret decoder ring a few verses down, and uh, he tells us in verse 18 that, that, that this refers to, quote, the message about the kingdom. So notice this kingdom thing theme. Uh, and elsewhere in verse 20, uh, the seed is referred to simply as the word, or in Luke's telling of this parable, it's referred to as the word of God. 
Now, uh, we need not reduce this this to formal uh, kind of presentations uh, of the gospel. I think there's a, the breadth of, of what's uh, in mind here. I, I want to read to you a quote on this from Thomas Merton. This is from his classic book called New Seeds of Contemplation. He says this. I'm just paraphrasing slightly. He says, Every moment and every event of every person's life plants something in his soul. For just as the wind carries thousands of seeds... So each moment brings with it germs of spiritual life. Most of these seeds perish and are lost because we are not prepared to receive them. For such seeds, these cannot spring up anywhere except in good soil. This is no new idea, he says. Christ in the parable of the sower long ago told us that the seed is the word of God. And he says, we often think this applies only to the word of the gospel as formally preached in churches on Sundays But every expression, he goes on to suggest, of the will of God is in some sense a word of God and therefore a seed of new life. And he goes on to say, we must learn to realize that the love of God seeks us in every situation and seeks our good. You see, God is sowing into your life even now. And and, and so the question this parable raises for us is, will you be receptive to that seed that he's bringing into your life? In this new year, the question for us is, will the soil of our hearts be receptive to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in our lives? And what's shocking about this parable, again, this would have confounded some of the expectations of Jesus' original hearers, is that when the kingdom comes, that not everyone is actually on board. And we see this in the passages just prior to this, that there are people who are leaders amongst the people who are religious leaders who are actually rejecting this move of the kingdom into their midst. They're opposing it. And so it's actually, again, it confounds our expectations about what happens actually when the kingdom comes. But, but really, Jesus goes on, and he, to kind of make this point, he, he talks about how this farmer sows his seed, and it lands on four different kinds of soil, uh, and each with a different response. So we'll pick it up in verse 4. It says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So because this is a path people would, would kind of walk on either in or around, uh, you know, let's say, uh, you know, the, the plot where uh, people would farm, that this would be compacted soil. So in other words, this is hard soil. Uh, the seed can't penetrate it, therefore it just kind of rests uh, on the surface, uh, and, and therefore birds can easily just come and snatch it away, right? Verses 5 through 6. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And finally, verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus concludes this, this famous parable by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. Or in the words of N.T. Wright, the way he translates this is, if you've got ears, which is all of us, then listen. That is the call to listen to what Jesus is saying, to not in one ear, out the other, but to really listen and and, and take it in, to not let it kind of ricochet off our souls, but to really let it sink in and impact us. Now, before unpacking what these different soils refer to, I want to say just a brief word on what a parable is and why Jesus would use this kind of form of communication because uh, it's a little bit cryptic, right? 
And so what is a parable? Well, it's basically a short story or a metaphor that kind of poetically points to a reality beyond itself and then challenges to live differently in light of that other reality, okay? So one scholar puts it like this. He says, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life that arresting the hearers by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. That's kind of a, a meaty little thing. So let me um, just unpack this. So again, so Jesus, he's drawing from a familiar uh, image uh, that, that, that his hearers would have been familiar with. In other words, the, the image of a, a farmer sowing seed, they've been very familiar with it. So he's giving them like a hook to hang things on something familiar. But on the other hand, the, the meaning, the precise meaning of this parable isn't exactly clear. So you might wonder, why would Jesus do that? This breaks all the rules I was taught, in, you know, when I was taught how to preach, right? So why would Jesus not just give everything so clearly? Um, well, the, the best way I can explain this is with an analogy to fishing. So, so just stick with me here. So when you fish, what do you do? If you've ever fished, I'm a country boy. Uh, by upbringing. And so what you do is, well, you take your little line, you got the hook, and you put bait on it, right? Then you cast it into the water. And and what is your hope? Well, is your hope that, you know, the fish will come along, take the bait, and then just kind of swim along its merry way and do its own thing? No, you want, in a sense, you want to draw that fish in. You want to draw it closer to yourself, if you will, because you want to get it out of that reality into a new reality. And that's kind of, it's almost like Jesus is fishing with these parables. He's like, he gives them enough to kind of awaken and evoke like a hunger and a curiosity. And wow, there's something in this, but he wants to, to kind of draw people to actually to come to him, to not just, the way uh, Neil Postman talked about this, uh, just, uh, I'm going to riff real quick. Um, so back in the day, all news was local. And so therefore, if you heard a news report that so-and-so's barn was on fire, that called for a response. I'm going to go help put out that fire. Now, we're so used to information that has no relevance or application to our lives. And so it's like, it's just information. Just information. And see, Jesus isn't in the information business. He wants life change. And so therefore, he's trying to evoke a response through these parables. He's trying to get people to come. He's, he's kind of fishing for people. I, I hope that makes sense. So that's, that's why he's telling these parables. He's trying to draw people. And in, in this passage, there's also a distinction between the crowd and the disciples. And so he's trying to draw people out of the crowd into the path or onto the path of discipleship, of following him. Because that's, that's what it's about. And, and, and so, he, again, he tells them this parable. And, and so just by, by way of preview, the, uh, the seed that the farmer sows falls on four different kinds of soil, and that corresponds to four different sort of heart conditions uh, in the human heart. And, and uh, one of these soils, we're, we're told, bears tremendous fruit, but the others do not. Now I got thinking about this um, you know, let's say you're one of those soils that's not bearing fruit. What, what, what do you think is the temptation in that? I think one temptation could be, think, maybe to start doubting that seed. Maybe, maybe this isn't good seed. Or maybe you start doubting the farmer. Maybe this isn't a good farmer. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. And, but really, actually, the invitation of this parable is actually to turn those questions on ourselves. To rather than to doubt the farmer or to doubt the seed, to actually honestly take a look at ourselves, to examine the soil 
of our hearts. Are we receptive to the word of God? Are we receptive to movement of God's kingdom in our midst? So let's take a look at how Jesus explains these uh, 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 soils, and then we'll kind of apply it to our lives. By the way, I just have to let you know, uh, when I was at Cal Poly, I started as a crop science major, and I actually took a class on soil science. So I'm getting my money's worth today. So here we you know, <laughs> I will finally apply this in my life. <laughs> You're in good hands. Okay. So um, let's look now at uh, Jesus' explanation uh, of this parable. And the first soil that is referred to here is the soil along the path. And so when Jesus unpacks this in verse 18, he says this. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Now, what you need to understand is he is speaking to disciples here. There was the crowd, and he kind of put out this fishing line with the parable, and some respond, not everybody. And it's the disciples who came to him and say, I, I want to know more. What Would you explain this to me? And so he's explaining the meaning to them. Uh, and, and, and he says this in verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Again, this is uh, the soil that was kind of the compacted ground. It's the path, so people walked on it. It was compacted. It was hard soil, and therefore the, the seed cannot penetrate it and bring growth in life. So what this is is an image of a hardened heart. Now, there's debate as to whether this refers to someone who is a follower of Jesus, perhaps in the early stages, or whether this refers to someone who simply heard ideas about Jesus but has not yet begun uh, following him. Uh, it's, I, I don't think it's com- completely clear, so I think this could have relevance for both. But there is, regardless, there is a warning here for all who hear. And it's that when the kingdom comes, it is possible to be in a position such that you are not ready to receive it. And that should be sobering for us. And specifically, the warning here is about having a hard heart. So, uh, for example, you might be someone who attends church. You might be someone who attends a Christian college. You might uh, have read the Bible. But it's actually possible for the Word of God just to sort of rest on the surface of your life, to not actually get in there and penetrate and touch your heart. Uh, That is actually uh, possible for it to not take root and bring that life and change and growth that God wants to bring. Now, a key word here is understand. Uh, Jesus uh, says people in this state lack understanding. And so you might be tempted to think, oh, they simply don't have enough information. But I I really think in the context of this, it it means something much more than that, uh, much more than information or comprehension. Because, again, the message was sown in the heart, but it stayed on the surface and never penetrated the soil was too hard. I'll share just an illustration on this. So uh, when I was in college, uh, I started following Jesus, and uh, in the dorms, I I met a guy, we became friends, and he was the most, um, how would I put it, Um, kind of hardened atheist I'd met in my life. I don't say that in a pejorative way, but just as a descriptive way, uh, that, you know, I've had some atheist friends who they would love to have philosophical and theological conversations, but the friend I made, I'll call him Bob, um, yeah, he just, he was an atheist. He just didn't want to talk about it. It was kind of like, God doesn't exist. I believe it. That settles it. It was kind of like that. And um, <laughs> some of you got that. <laughs> anyway, so, so he was just didn't want to talk, but we became friends and eventually became roommates. And uh, I shared my life with him. I shared my faith with him. And uh, again, he was very committed atheist, but over time, 
the kind of a, a movement happened in particular. One, one, one week, uh, I, I organized something called the Veritas Forum at Cal Poly, which is an interdisciplinary exploration of the truth of Jesus. And uh, it, it was just an amazing thing, brought in scholars, amazing scholars from around the world. And at the end of that week, the most amazing thing happened. He said, I now believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, it's all true. It's all true. But he wasn't sure if he wanted to follow Jesus. It's like that seed was just right here. It was right here. It had been sown into his life. It was just right here. And sorry. I remember standing in, in the doorway of his room, which just feels so symbolic. And I felt like, I know he was on this fence, and I just felt like God gave me this scripture. I said, there's this scripture. I feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. That today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And uh, he hesitated in that doorway, and he never walked through. And for me, that just vividly illustrates that you can have all the information. You can even believe it's all true and check all the boxes, yet be like, but I'm not letting it in here. It's going to stay right here. And uh, that's, that, that's a sober warning. There's an extent to which we can even uh, do that as Christians. We can, in a sense, harden your heart. And, and uh, so, again, there's just sort of this uh, sober uh, warning in that. And I, I think there are various ways this can happen. Sometimes it's just like, you know, I think Greg's talked about this. Sometimes it's like we give God the Heisman. It's just like, it just, eh, you know, we can just do that. Uh, sometimes, I think sometimes, it's almost like we approach God just as a set of ideas. Like God's in our Petri dish, and I'm going to deconstruct my faith, and I'm going to deconstruct God. It's just kind of this external thing to me. And and by the way, um, you know, I de- deconstructed my faith as a college freshman, so I get that. There's a time and a place for that. Uh, but I would also say that there is a time uh, when you have to respond uh, there's a time when you need to start deconstructing, you're deconstructing. And at the end of the day, it's actually not Jesus that needs to be deconstructed. It's you and me. We need him to deconstruct us and rebuild us from the ground up. And that is really, again, this, the invitation of this parable to actually, whoa, take a look at our lives. Is, is my heart soft and receptive or is it hard before God? Uh, that, that is the question here. Now, there's this other dynamic mentioned here, and, and Jesus doesn't say a lot about it, but the problem of, uh, of this hardness of heart is not only that the seed is not able to penetrate, but also it makes that seed susceptible to being snatched up by an external force. Jesus talks about it as a bird, and, and, and he doesn't, again, explain exactly how this works, but if we take him at his word, this means at least two things. Uh, first of all, that there's a real evil, personal, supernatural force who does not like you or me and wants to snatch that seed up and, 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 and prevent the life and the growth uh, and the freedom and healing that God wants to bring through that. But secondly, that, this is, that, that, that the enemy, not God, is the one who keeps people from truly hearing the message. I think that's very important to see in uh, this passage. So important. So in light of that, we shouldn't be surprised just by way of application. I've led people to faith and all of a sudden they're like, now my life's falling apart. Like, what's going on? Well, we shouldn't be surprised. You, someone's exploring the faith. You should not be surprised. There's a sense of like, wait a second, life just got harder, not easier. We should not be surprised. I just have to share a story on this. So this is like, when was it, two weeks ago? I'm like, okay. You know, I had a busy December. I'll say more about that in a moment. But I'm like, okay, I, I need time for prayer and fasting. And uh, 
So amazing. Like I set aside this time. I'm so looking forward. Then all of a sudden, what happens? My car breaks down. I'm like, oh, and it just like drains all this time out of my day. I'm like, okay, get that resolved. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. The toilet breaks down. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can't, don't tell me there's not an enemy. <laughs> don't tell me there's not an enemy. Man, man, there is, there is, there, there is an enemy who seeks to rob that seed. And I, and I really just have to tell you, we had a, a church uh, council little retreat yesterday. We spent a lot of time in prayer. We just had a very keen sense that there is a lot of battle going on around a lot of people in this room in this church, and Jesus wants you to be aware of it, and I think sometimes the enemy can have a lot more influence in life because we're not even aware, right? And uh, I'd like to do more teaching on that. I don't have time right now, but I just be aware and learn how to shoo away the birds. We'll have to talk about that sometime. Um, <laughs> that's another sermon. Um, but just to summarize here, that this, this first soil is, is the soil along the path, and that really what that represents is a hard now, the second soil is the shallow, rocky soil, and Jesus explains it like this, verse 20 through 21. He says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is someone who's heard the message of the kingdom. They've uh, they sort of welcomed that into their life. They've understood it. They've allowed it to, to enter their heart. And initially, they responded with joy, with, with enthusiasm. But somewhere along the way, challenges hit. And it's like it just totally derailed their faith. Have you ever seen that? Perhaps that's where you are today. Perhaps you have a loved one who's just, that, that's exactly what they're going through right now. So why, you might wonder, would someone who's you know, had an open heart to God's word and his kingdom movement in their lives, and in their midst, why, why would they fall away like this? So Jesus puts it like this. He says the problem is that they have no root. The problem wasn't that they didn't kind of open their hearts and, and, and receive that seed that was sown in their life. It's that they had no root to sustain it. They got started on the journey of faith, and again, started with enthusiasm, and I think back to my college days, and I can think back to people I went on mission trips with who had enthusiasm, and now some of them aren't walking with Jesus. Breaks my heart. But somewhere along the way, it's like they stopped growing. They didn't get very far enough down that path. And so when trials come, they don't have the root structure to support that. They wither. They, they just they fall away. Now, how is it someone who could, you know, at one time embrace a move of God's kingdom and word in their lives have no root. Well, I think one common issue is when people treat coming to faith as the end of the journey rather than the beginning of the journey. That is such a, a common issue. We think, okay, I came to faith. Oh, I get to go to heaven when I die? Oh, great. Check. And actually, that was me. I grew up in the church, so I heard a basic gospel presentation. And so I thought, okay, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. And that's a wonderful thing, by the way. I'm all for that. Um, but I didn't understand how Jesus related to my life here and now. So I actually didn't have a root structure. So when trials came my way, I guess I'm out of here. And I did my, what I call my prodigal tour of duty. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, thank God for his amazing grace because he, he pulled me back. I'm so thankful for that. But um, again, you have to have a root structure. But if you think that coming to faith is the end of the story, 
uh, you, you will not be prepared to walk this thing out, not, only, not, not to mention to thrive in this life that God has for you. Uh, so, so much. And I think it's important for us to understand that salvation is not just a gift. It is a life. It is a life we live with God. It's a life of following Jesus, growing in him, becoming like him, serving him. And so in light of that, I'll, I'll put it like this. The most important question is not, did you pray the sinner's prayer 10 years ago? The most important question is, are you living that prayer now? Are you living that prayer now? That is what matters more than anything else. Are we living that now? Are we finding life in him? Are we following Jesus? Are we abiding him? Are we seeking him? That is the most important question. Because other that we will, apart from that, we will not have the, the root structure to, to kind of bear the weight of the trials that come our way. I, I've been reading a book by David Kinneman, who's the president of Barna Research, uh, and it's just been uh, eye-opening in a lot of ways. And he did in-depth research, or they did in-depth research of young adults age 18 to 29 who were raised Christian, raised in the church, and at one time would have identified as Christian. But they found that only 10% in this demographic now, uh, at this point in time, would, would they uh, kind of identify, would, would Barna, by their kind of set of uh, criteria, identify as resilient disciples. Only 10%. And so for me, that is just like, wow, that is, that is just uh, troubling. <laughs> and so as a church, we're really doubling down on, on helping people follow Jesus. We want to introduce people to Jesus day and night, but we don't want to leave it at that. We want to help people follow Jesus with their lives for their entire lives. We are all in on that. And that's one of the reasons we're doing the practicing the way of Jesus. We want you to have a root that goes down deep so that you can walk this thing out and so that you can thrive. And if you're just here, I'm just going to shoot you straight. If you're just here once in a while on a Sunday, or if you just listen to a podcast once in a while, you're not going to have the root. You will not have the root structure to really thrive amidst the challenges we face in life. And so I just invite you, and I know some people have circumstantial things or scheduling things. So, hey, there's no judgment or shame or any guilt or anything. But just I want to say, hey, we invite you to join us in this, and maybe you're, you're doing something else. That's great. But please, whatever you do, follow Jesus with your life. Uh, let let that kind of goal line of faith crossing be the beginning, not the end of your journey with him. Because we, we, we want to be with this in you for the long haul. Uh, Craig Keener, who's a New Testament scholar, he says this, the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. That is truth. That is truth. So that's really what we, we so long to see. Uh, and that's what Jesus is saying is so important. But again, this, this group, the, the rocky, shallow soul, they didn't have their, and therefore when those trials came, when that persecution came, and by the way, notice that some of it became because of the word, don't be surprised if things aren't always easier <laughs> when you're following Jesus. You, you, you have to expect that. Sometimes we have a, a, a yeah, kind of a, a distorted gospel uh, in our mind, and uh, so that, that's really important. If I'm, actually, if I'm honest, I think one of the reasons why some people kind of stop in this journey because they they were sold, or maybe they just misunderstood kind of kind of a distorted gospel. And uh, it's not about hey, come to Jesus and everything's going to be easy. It's actually come and die, and through Him you will find life, <laughs> and and that's really you will find life at a new kingdom, a new reality. So that's the invitation. So, so again, uh, to sum this up, uh, uh, the, the, the rocky, uh, shallow soil, again, the, the problem is that there was, there was no root. Uh, and so the invitation through that is to have a root that goes down deep into Jesus.
Now, the third soil, this is a soil with thorns. And in verse 22, Jesus explains it like this. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So this is someone who hears the word, who, who receives it, and who actually develops a deep root uh, in their life, unlike the rocky, uh, shallow soil. So what's, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that this soil has allowed other things to take root as well. So the problem is, that they don't have, is not that they don't have Jesus, it's that they've actually allowed other things in as well. Think of it like your computer without antivirus. Guess what? You're getting some malware. And it's like that. It's almost like malware in the heart. Uh, and so I think one of the things this implies, well, and what Jesus actually says very clearly here is that the problem is if that happens is that, again, it's like you get these invasive plants that will actually choke out the life of the kingdom in your life. They'll choke out the fruit and the growth and the health that God wants to bring in, in your life. And, and I think what part of what this implies is, is sort of a, a complacency, uh, a passivity, an inattention uh, uh, with, with regard to the soil of one's heart. So it's kind of like my yard. Uh, so um, this past fall, uh, my wife and I, we really kind of dug in and we did some real good work in our yard. It was looking good. But now, so we kind of we got, well, it's looking good. It's looking good. Kind of got complacent, got a little lackadaisical. Just kind of, you know. And what do you know right now? <sighs> it's a disaster. And it's like all these weeds have sprung up and all the stuff that we planted that we wanted to grow and thrive is now being completely overshadowed and just outcompeted by these weeds. Ah, oh, and that can happen in the spiritual life very easily. And frankly, uh, my yard in some ways is an image of my spiritual life, if I'm honest. Can I be honest? Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> so uh, in the fall, I'll just share. Uh, in the fall, I, I pressed into the Lord in a very deep way. I have to tell you, it was so good. It was so good. It's like I found myself in the midst of like a personal revival. I was, it was just amazing. December rolls around. It was such a busy month, such a busy month. And so with that, you know, some of it just, it, life happens. But, you know, if I'm honest, I kind of, there was some, ah, some complacency and, you know, not like completely, but, you know, kind of, I just, uh, yeah, I kind of got a bit complacent. And, and uh, so no, so at the beginning of this month, I find myself like, I feel like, oh man, I feel like the thorns, like, just like, just like, kind of closing in on me, and and I was feeling weary, and uh, I was feeling discouraged, and so I knew I had to pull out the holy weed whacker, <laughs> and so for me, what that tends to look like is fasting and prayer. I'm like, I am diving in, and I am pulling out those thorns, and I did, and I spent a lot of time in fasting and prayer one day in particular, and it's like at one point, there's like, there's like a breakthrough. It's like, okay, you know, through confession, through repentance, through prayer, it's like eventually it's like, Oh, like the light shining in, I feel refreshed. I feel like God's living water is bubbling up. It's like I feel renewed in my vision, uh, just uh, just strengthened, and it was so amazing. But that happened because I, I dealt with those thorns uh, in my life. Uh, now, I'll let you in know, on a little secret. Slightly embarrassing, but I'll share it. So, I, I have a secret fantasy. Now, don't laugh, and it is to found a monastic order. <laughs> You can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I thought about this, and I kind of have it all uh, figured out, and uh, kind of all 
planned out, and, and it would be called, at least tentatively, the Holy Order of the Burning Ones. It sounds, I don't know, for me that sounded cool. And uh, <laughs> anyways, but where that comes from is just, it's not, God's done something in my life in the past years. It's like he's reignited this fire, like this raging fire for him. And it's just like this something in me, like I will settle for nothing less than more of him. And that's my deepest longing for more of him, for me, for my family, for this church, for this city, for this region. I just like God's done something and I like, I will stop at nothing. I told him I'll pay any price for more of you and I will. And uh, so I've got this deal planned out. We'd have a rule of life and uh, we would covenant together to, to seek God in a deep way. And we'd even have a saying. <laughs> it's actually good. This is actually good. It'd be root and stem. And the idea is that anytime we became aware of anything in our life that was drawing us and pulling us away from the love of God, that we would covenant to tear it out, root and stem. And as I've pressed into that kind of life, I don't live that perfectly, but I've been, I tell you what, I've been going in, pressing in that way, and I find nothing but life. Nothing but life is at the other end of that. Nothing but life. But I can tell you the life of really what Jesus is talking about here, this, the thorns, this is a divided heart. This is a divided mind. And when I was younger, that looked like that's probably the best deal. Uh, Van Halen had a song in the 80s or early 90s, maybe some of you will remember, called The Best of Both Worlds. And this is sort of kind of like a hedonistic kind of Epicurean anthem. And, uh, you know, and so I would sing this, and I had a little bit of my own spin on it, but it was, you know, I want the best of both worlds, a little heaven right here on earth. Sorry, I'm not Sammy Hagar. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but for me, it was kind of like this, hey, I want kind of one toe in the kingdom because I want to go to heaven when I die. But really, my heart is in the world. And what, here's what I found. That kind of, and I've lived a divided life in all kinds of different ways, but that's one configuration. But what I found, that is a, that is a life of frustration. That is a life of uh, emptiness. That is a life of just, it's no, there's no fruit. There's no good lasting fruit in that. And so, again, what's on the other side of ripping out those thorns is nothing but life. But I came across a quote from uh, the great uh, theologian Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he said, Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. Isn't that interesting? So it's not just like these giant vices. Sometimes it's like, well, Netflix. <laughs> Sorry if I'm hitting a little close to home. Um, Video games, uh, yeah, social media. I mean, it can be a number of things. And things that, you get, they're good, have their place. But sometimes it's like, wow, like it's almost like it uh, can, can just start occupying so much space in our hearts and crowd out what actually the Lord wants to do. And uh, so I think this is, again, the call here is just to be aware and to kind of curate our hearts more than we curate our Instagram feed. Proverbs 4.23 actually says this, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. That is the call, to, to curate our hearts before God to become good soil. So let's talk about that. Um, so the fourth soil is, is the good soil. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, the first thing to see here is that, that, that this is a promise, that if we become good soil, that, that, that the Lord will sow his seed and, and there will be fruit that will come through that. But actually, not just growth and fruit, but extraordinary uh, growth and fruit. So just a quick comparison historically. 
uh, in Italy at this time, uh, you know, they averaged five to six-fold return on grain that was sown. Uh, irrigated fields in Egypt averaged around seven-fold yield for wheat. The average Palestinian harvest may have yielded seven and a half to ten uh, times the seed sown. But a harvest yielding 30 to 100 times the seed invested, that's an extraordinarily abundant harvest. And that is really the, the, the life of the kingdom that God has for us. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, that, that sounds really good. <laughs> that sounds really amazing. And so how can we experience that? Well, to be very clear, what we're, what we're talking about here, this is not self-help. It's not as though we can uh, just, I don't know, just kind of uh, mindful, mindfulness ourselves into this or uh, you know, meditate our way into this. This is really the, the fruit and overflow of God's kingdom movement. And so what that means is that we can't make this happen. We can't. But what we can do, we can't, we, elsewhere in scripture, it says that you know, God is the one who makes the seed grow. But what we can do is to repair the conditions for that seed to grow. We can remove the rocks. We can remove the thorns so that the seed God sows in our life could actually grow in his time, in his way. Uh, and, and so that's, that's our part in it. Um, ben, why don't you come back up? We'll kind of just wrap this up. So in closing, uh, just to bring uh, this home, I think what the question this parable raises is, which soil am I? And which soil do I want to become? And what's great is that in the kingdom of God, change is possible. Just because you're one place today doesn't mean you have to be there tomorrow. So which soil am I? You might just want to write this down or think about this. Which soil am I and which soil do I want to become? Because some of this is within our control. And so, so what do I want to become and, and what do I need to do in order for that to happen? Because uh, you will not just kind of wake up one day and just be like, Wow, like I'm, I'm good soil. Like it just, you know, you're not just going to float into it. It's just not going to happen. Like actually you have to cooperate with God in this. And so the parable invites us to just really examine our hearts before God. And so just a, a few specific uh, applications as we close. So if you're here today and if you feel like hard soil, I know God's been speaking to people. Uh, and really the invitation here is just to open up, to open your heart to God. You might be here like, God, I don't know how to do that. And I've been there. And say, Lord, would you help me? I want to have an open heart to you. I'm not there. I want to be there. Or maybe you don't want to be there. And you can tell him that. But do you want to want to be there? How about that? That's a start. <laughs> you could tell him that. So just ask him to help you with that. Now, if you're here today and you feel like rocky soil, shallow soil, this is a great day to commit to following Jesus. If you've never done that, you can do that today. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe uh, you've done that in the past, but you kind of wandered off the path or maybe sat down. And today you can say, Jesus, I want to re-up. And when you come for communion, let that be kind of a sacred moment where you're saying, Jesus, I'm re-upping to follow you today. And if you're here today and you feel like you've got thorns in your life, the invitation is simply to tear them out, root and stem, to shake off complacency, distraction, anything that would get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. So again, which, which is it for you today? And what is God calling you to in light of that? Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. You sow your seed so liberally, God, and generously. God, even when our hearts aren't prepared, you still sow your seed into our lives. God, would you give us the grace 
just to do whatever you're calling us to, to take a step forward with you, God, to prepare our hearts that your kingdom work might take deeper root in our lives, God, and bring the abundance and growth that you want to bring. Jesus' name, I mean, let's just take just a, a moment just to reflect before communion. It's just a moment with God. Just take a moment. What's he, what's he been saying to you today?